essential knowledge for each of us in our particular stage of evolution. This comes from within. It doesn't come from without. This is not to say that we don't learn much from without. And a lot of the things that we learn on the outside are rather confirming. Uh, they're confirmatory as far as what we know on the inside. In other words, if you have an experience on the inside and you read something on the outside, this is very, very, very nice and makes you feel very, very good. In other words, you you find out that you're not the only guy in the world who ever had an inspiration of a certain kind, a very specific kind, dealing with the exact point uh, that you happen to be in at your particular stage of evolution. And this is this is very this is very good for us. You know, I mean, after all, we are uh, we're not uh, just uh, pilgrims, but uh, we're also uh, experiencing something that um, is not unusual. It's not unusual. So all the things that we can find in literature, and, and especially the, the higher literature, which deals with spiritual matters, is, is very nice, very confirmatory. But we have to remember that uh, we do have to listen, and uh, we do have to be concerned about what we get from our own insides so that uh, we should not be too outward-minded as far as what is going to help us in our particular stage of development, wherever that may be at any given moment. And that's the message of this key. In other words, we have an inner teacher. Uh, the more that we depend on this inner teacher, the better for us. But we're not supposed to, I'm speaking in general terms, we're not supposed to uh, suddenly throw ourselves on the inner teacher and neglect all the spiritual precepts that we've heard all of our lives. Rather, we are to listen and compare and find out that uh, uh, Jesus was a good guy, a guy uh, Lao Tzu was a good guy, Muhammad was a good guy, Buddha was a good guy, and a lot of the things that they were talking about are related to the particular stage that we happen to be in. But the main thing is that we do have a source within ourselves of what you might call superior knowledge or knowledge that comes from, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, a different sphere altogether from the world. And we should, of course, cultivate this. And this is the listening ear. This key refers to hearing. Of course, that's inner hearing. And the, the basis for it is that we are quite complete in ourselves. We, uh, we really don't need much as far as uh, guidance and information and so on from the outside where we have within ourselves a very marvelous and a very wonderful guide if we turn to this guide. Uh, as far as the world is concerned, this is a pretty funny idea. You know, most of it is uh, you should read the Wall Street Journal and uh, uh, the daily newspaper and try to figure it all out from that. Uh, but, of course, as far as the occult teaching is concerned, we, we have to develop the listening ear, and that's what this particular key is all about.
the instruction that's demonstrated in this key is that, uh, of course, the inner self, the innermost self, is quite capable of instructing both the self-conscious aspect, which is the usual one, which we call ourselves, and also the subconscious, which is uh, the more mysterious aspect of ourselves. And we uh, self-consciously, through meditation, we, we can contact this interior source. And then in subconsciously, of course, we get this in lots of other ways, dreams and uh, intimations and what you will. The main message, of course, is to listen. And this particular key refers to hearing, and it refers to the inner hearing, which involves listening. And this involves also a great stillness of mind, so that uh, we put aside everything that has to do with the world, and we listen. And out of this very stillness comes a special, a special message, which is precisely for us, wherever we happen to be in our course of evolution. Uh, and, and this is our guide. This is the thing that uh, leads us on the path. Now, as far as the importance of this is concerned, you may, you may gauge the importance of it uh, from the fact that in the major delineation of the capitalists, uh, which is the divine name, Yodhe Vohe, uh, this Vav is part of the divine name. And uh, if you look at it, you will see that it connects the lower with the higher. In other words, in the tree of life, the yod is here, and the hay here, and the vav here, and the final hay here. Well, this is where we are most of the time. And our, our key of connection is in this vav, which takes us to higher realms. And uh, so the whole idea of the Kabbalah is to be receptive to inner things, and the Vav represents this. And the, um, the high priest that you see here simply represents the principle of instruction which works on all planes as far as the Kabbalah is concerned. This is a thread that goes from the lowest to the highest, and uh, this is the the one thread that uh, we have to hang on to all the time. And this is not a hard thing to do. I mean, it's simply a matter of, uh, you might say, being willing or being desirous. And uh, if we are willing and desirous, uh, we can hang on to this golden thread that will take us from here all the way to the top. And of course, the, the letter Vav is a nail, uh, and that's the primary meaning, and that is, uh, of course, the thing that binds everything together. And in this respect, it's related to the High Priestess, who is the uniting intelligence, and you may be sure that all things are bound together, and that we have a, we have a link with all things, and more particularly, we have a link with all of our insides. When you said, um, we are not to throw ourselves upon the inner teacher. We are not to throw ourselves? 
throw ourselves completely on the inner teacher. You were making a point, and I'm I'm curious as to whether this point is that you've said before that reason and observation, mm -hmm. all these things in the first row come prior to the hierophant and are not to be discarded, and in fact are a foundation upon which this, which um, Bob depends. Is that what you're talking about? That reason is well. I was trying to be helpful in the sense that. Uh, we're not to discard everything, and one of the reasons that I made this remark is that uh, we could get lost in, uh, we'll say, the personal subconscious, which would be a disaster. And uh, so the guides, and very generous and sweet-hearted guides who are trying to tell us the right way to go, have left many memorials in the course of history. And they're not to be ignored. In other words, they're to be taken very seriously. Because as we, we try this <laughs> path, uh, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with listening to the major uh, sources of information that are already extant. And they're not to be ignored. In other words, they're, they're very helpful. They're free. Uh, all the information is free, all the help is free, and uh, the goodwill and the blessing that comes from the people who have explored the path before us is all there and is to be taken most seriously. That's the point that I was trying to make, because uh, it's, it's uh, altogether confirming our own experience, you see, so that we don't go alone. As, uh, I understand. You know, so we have the outer teachers as well as our inner Yes, yeah. we have all sorts of outer memorials which are extremely important to us. This is one of them. This is not the only one, but this is a great memorial as far as what's going on is concerned. And we're, we're free to uh, enjoy the experience of our forebears who have spent an enormous amount of time and energy in exploring the very areas that we would get into, you see. And they, uh, they are very prodigal with their wealth. In other words, they, uh, they give it away quite freely. That was uh, the point I was trying to get across. To add to that, I've known personally two or three people that were so busy listening to the inner voice and depending on it so entirely and when it gets to the stage where it tells you everything that you want to hear and that, that you're doing everything perfectly I think it's time to turn to the outer sources for a while. Well I mean we are a community uh, all of us and all the teachers and all the wise men of old and so on and so forth we're all one you see and uh, it's, it's very much, again, like the cookbook. If you, uh, if you want to explore the inner, there is a cookbook, and the cookbook includes the sages and what they've discovered, and it would be unwise not to listen to what they have to say. And these people would get so wrapped up that they finally they sort of circle back and get into the highly personal, and then it, it, it's dangerous ground, I think, and then they yes. are only hearing what they want to hear. Yeah, for instance, the person who thinks that because he's had divine inspiration that he is suddenly 
God and everybody else is uh, a little bit less, that's a very dangerous position to be in. And the capitalists, if you had the patience to uh, explore their thought, they would make it quite clear that every man has the divine in himself and is a god in truth. And so uh, there's no there's no reason to get excited because you happen to be a god. In other words, this is uh, man's heritage. And that uh, gets rid of a lot of ego inflation and pure foolishness, which is, you know, it happens all the time. Somebody gets a hold of inspiration and thinks that uh, this is the second coming or what you will. The interview is that uh, we are all the body of God, and uh, and we are really quite remarkable in essence, and our uh, our joy in the future will be in exchanging the marvels that each one of us contains. It's like the enjoyment of art. I mean, if you are a, a true enjoyer of art, you can really lustily enjoy the other person's art, which might be completely different from your art. Along those lines, I would like to ask a question that I've been wanting to ask for a long time. And that is a question about your attitude. You um, have obviously read widely in metaphysics and theosophy, and uh, you've never, uh, I've never heard you uh, make an analysis or a criticism or any remark, actually, in fact, about Gurdjieff or Spensky or all any number of these different kinds of philosophers and theosophists and metaphysicists. Why is that? Is there a reason for that? Is it you just like to speak from the background of the tarot? Is there a reason for you not to comment? Well, you see, there, there are two things going on as far as uh, the occult is concerned. There's occult science, which is something over here, and then as far as the self is concerned, uh, this is more than a science. In other words, this has to be a living experience, and this is not something that you can say that it's this particular way or that particular way, because it depends on where you are. You know, if you're in the water, every if you're a fish in the water, then everything looks very watery, and every everybody around is a fish. And if you're in the air, and the birds are all flying around, and you're a bird, then everything is in the air, you see. And if you're a mineral and you're in the mineral kingdom, well, everything is very static, and uh, and there it is. It's not saying that the minerals don't understand uh, what's going on. I'm sure they do, but it's a very different world. So it depends on where you are. And as far as the occult scientists are concerned, I mean, some of them are very scientific and and they go into matters of time and space and this and that and the other thing, which is perfectly all right. It hasn't. It doesn't do any harm, but it doesn't get down to, you might say, the grassroots. And the grassroots are uh, living things, and not uh, uh, they're not in the same order as the more static things. In other words, here we're talking about very dynamic things which have a certain flowing character, which is uh, quite different from, uh, we'll say, the static uh, situations in chemistry or even in physics. In other words, when you, you talk about the laws of science, 
you're talking about things that are more or less probable and that you know this is the way it's going to be well when you get into the particular area that we're in here you're not talking about the laws of science at all you're talking about dynamic things in other words you have uh, a power which is something that you can turn this way or that way or the other way and it has nothing to do with what you call basically uh, in, in terms of human ex the ordinary everyday thing it has nothing to do with science at all it's not this kind of a thing it's more like an art it's a black art or a white art or whatever you want to call it but it's something that you can manipulate and science is something that you manipulate in a very special way in other words you obey all the laws of nature and you do this and that and the other because this apparently <laughs> is a regular proposition that you can depend on if you put uh, iodine and phosphorus away uh, in front of you and tickle them they'll blow your head off I mean that's that's the rule you see so that's the guidebook but in this particular business that we're in now these laws uh, are something else again uh, what we're talking about is the the you might say the laws of livingness in other words we're talking about the law as something that's very creative and uh, sure it's involved if you want to get on the scientific level and you want to create a new this or that or the other you can do it but the point is that what you're doing when you do this particular piece of creation is an involvement that's basically described here let me put it to you this way if you're a god and you are say Neptune and you want to appear as a fair young lady because you happen to be you don't want to be embarrassed uh, by consider, being considered gay and you are in love with this boy we'll say so you change yourself into a girl that's Neptune you see that's the power of Neptune okay so you change yourself into a girl and you fall in love with a boy and everybody is happy now this is just an example this don't take it too literally but that's the way it works in other words on this particular plane that we're dealing with uh, which is the plane of the creative imagination we're not talking about basic science or basic chemistry or anything like that at all we're talking about things that are much deeper we're talking about a level which is you might say primary instead of secondary and we're talking about such matters as what do you want to be you know and do you think that you can be what you want to be or don't you think so well this has nothing to do with science they don't touch this area at all you see the the notion that what you hold in your mind is going to happen as far as science is concerned is ridiculous because it upsets science and science doesn't like to be upset you know it's like a, a good hard shell Victorian it likes everything to be straight square and smooth so that you can get just what you want but there is the higher law and that's what we're talking about we're not talking about anything else in other words let's for example take the matter of goodwill the good goodwill upsets the whole universe as far as man is concerned in other words this is a, a treacherous thing as far as uh, we'll say the bankers and the 
the lawyers and everything else in Germany because they never consider goodwill at all. They're only interested in the law. But we are considered in good. We consider goodwill as a basic feature of our landscape. See, there's a vast difference. Love, for instance, uh, you you go to a bank and you say, "I want to be loved." <laughs> you know, and I understand that the Bank of America loves me. Or whoever it happens to be, uh, you know, the Hibernia Bank, if you're an Irishman or whoever it is. And well, they will love you to a certain extent. I mean, they'll love you if you have security and uh, you have $100,000 security and you want to borrow $5,000, they'll love you to death. And they'll throw their arms around you and treat you like a prince. But as far as love is concerned, they never heard of it because it's a business and love has nothing to do with business. And none of the... Uh, I mean, business has nothing to do with love. Or vice versa, that is not. Can, can you bring love into business? Of course you can bring love into business. But I'm talking about business in general. Uh, for instance, let's, for example, let's take the Arabian oil situation. The, the the prices that they're charging for their oil is very destructive to to people who are in desperate straits already, like India. But this is no consideration with the people who have all the oil. They don't give a damn whether India goes to hell or not, and this is not a good thing. If they had any love, they would make some arrangement with India. They say, well, you need oil, we'll give you the oil, and, and maybe in 20, 30, 40 years, we'll raise the prices or something or make a contract with you to raise the prices over the years, but your people are starving, you must have oil now, and so we're going to give you oil at a price you can afford to pay, less, like say last year's prices, and uh, we'll raise it over a period of years, but we won't kill your people, but that's what they're doing, they are killing millions of people, just like that, because there's no love in it, it's strictly business. And this, of course, becomes uh, a kind of a second world war, doesn't it? How are they killing their people again? Well, they're killing them because oil happens to be essential in India to uh, uh, many industries, which, uh, well, for instance, the fertilizer industry depends on oil. And uh, they won't the prices are so prohibitive that the Indians who are broke anyway can't afford it, so they can't buy the oil, so millions of people are going to starve. That's it. And they don't give a damn. They say, well, that's your, your hard luck. That's your, you know, that's your karma or anything, but it's not none of my business. And this is the rich man's point of view. It's none of my business. If you're starving, I, I'm not my brother's keeper. To hell with you. Well, that isn't exactly our position here. I mean, this is uh, our position is that you know uh, we're we're in an evolutionary trend that has to go away from this kind of foolishness. So, as you can see from the Kabbalah, love is a very important element, and you might say and ask very much to the point, well, how come if the Kabbalah is a Jewish idea that the Jews never heard of it? Uh, and this is very interesting because 
in Israel, it's extremely difficult to find anybody who ever heard about the Kabbalah because they're not on this level at all. There have been some influences like uh, on the the the, uh, the Hasidim who are uh, Martin Buber and so on, who was important in organizing Israel. Uh, he drew his inspiration from Hasid on the Tree of Life. But as far as the general public is concerned, they're just like us. They're strictly a political deal. And we've had people in this, not in this room, but in other rooms since we've been going, who've been to Israel and looked around to find something about the Kabbalah in Israel and couldn't find it. In other words, it was strictly uh, the way it's been for a long time, underground, because of the the politics, the power situation, and everything else. In other words, uh, there's nothing wrong with the idea of Christianity. The main problem is that nobody practices it. That's the main problem. And people haven't changed for thousands of years, and they haven't changed in Israel, and the Kabbalah is not the law in Israel at all. It really isn't. Yes? I was going to say, when I first came to Kabbalah in the studies, I used to ask each, whenever I had a chance, ask each well-educated Jew or Jewess that I met, you know, kind of open subject of Kabbalah, and there were two reactions without fail. Either they absolutely didn't even, they didn't even know what the word meant, or they gave you a very startled look and clammed up like I asked them if they knew the devil personally. Yeah. Oh, it was a dirty word. Yeah. And I never could get them any further. But I, I've, been, I've been in a Jewish business all my life, and you'd be surprised how many Jewish people, they look up at a delicatessen that happens to be an Orthodox <laughs> one, and it's got, it's got kosher written in Jewish, you know, in Hebrew letters. Uh, there's a kaf. Uh, a sheen and a rash, and they don't know what it means. And by the same token, I've been in Chinatown for uh, pretty soon, it's going to be a long time, like 30 years, selling the Chinese in Chinatown, and I know I have many dear friends there. And I would say, well, what do you think of Lao Tzu? Do you think, you know, I never heard of him. <laughs> Confucius, yes, but Lao Tzu, they never heard of him. And this is uh, the way it is. I mean, this is the same exact, as our same exact, the same exact deal, same exact deal. And you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to put down anybody because I, I think I'm old enough now to uh, stop that kind of foolishness. But all that I'm saying is, you have to realize that there is an evolutionary thing going on, and that. Uh, as far as where the line of evolution is, it's very clear to see that it's it's uh, perhaps here or uh, somewhere else, but it's not it's not generally known. To get a real, uh, you might say, a, a front view of it, just read Jung and read what he has to say about the mind of Europe and the mind of the people that he dealt with all his life. Well, this hasn't changed. There hasn't been any second coming, and all these people in Europe and everywhere else have not changed in, since Jung passed away. For God's sake, they're just the same. In other words, it's the same people. They have the same problems, the same outlook, and everything else. And he dealt with them for many years. And he said, you know, uh, the way it is, is the outside. In other words, 
the world, the outside, it goes up, it goes down, it goes around, it goes this way and that way. But as far as delving into the inside, well, it just, in the West, it just hasn't happened at all. You know, there's a smattering, a smidgen here, there, like, just like here in this room. There are some interested people, but as far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, EST or something like that, uh, that isn't where it is, you see, because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to your heart. It does something to your head, but it doesn't do anything to your heart, and your heart is where it is. If your heart isn't in the right place, well, then everything gets screwed up for sure. And uh, so there are all sorts of, you know, extremely interesting things and clever things that go on with your head and blah, blah, blah. But it's all in here. And until your heart changes and you become, we'll say, really a, a generous heart, well, you may expect nothing but trouble. Because what happens is that each individual is a separate uh, point and they, everybody is after his own this, that, and the other. And uh, this kind of organization is conflict. It's, it, it's, it's conflict from the word go. It's the jungle. And that's where we are. We're still in the jungle. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be too concerned about it because uh, after all, we're missionaries. We're trying to tell people to be more hardy and less heady. And, uh, and that's what it's all about. That doesn't mean just because we're hardy that we're less brainy. That's not the point at all. We can be as brainy as hell, but uh, without the heart element, uh, we can be way, way off the track, you know. And with that statement, you're still also speaking as an answer. Well, you know, you're allowed to make your own judgments. Okay. Okay. You know, you're no, you're no dope, and so uh, you can make your own judgments. This is, I'm not putting down science. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by science and always have been. But I, I understand, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a nightmare without the heart. <coughs> That's the difference between the scientist who's just a technician and a scientist like Einstein or something who's really turned on by and through what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. You have to think of science in terms of humanity. It's a human function. Science is a human function. But there are other things that are overriding. In other words, there are other values which are much more important than we'll say strictly scientific points of view as far as humanity is concerned. And uh, all you have to do is read the papers, and you can see that every day uh, the scientific point of view is, or the cold, calculating point of view is uppermost. And uh, as far as the heart point of view is concerned, it's undermost. That's, that's the way it is. That cold, calculating point of view isn't really a scientific point of view with heart. The real scientific point of view has heart. It's a way with heart. Oh, yeah. yeah I so know, but... The uh, calculating thing is what has been kind of left in science, and the heart has been distilled out to make money with it. Well, it's... Uh, it in other words, 
if you look at it statistically, you'll find that as far as um, scientific, scientific development is concerned, historically, it's come out of war. In other words, it's come out of the necessity of war to develop new weapons and new this and new that. And all the side effects which could be useful for humanity have been strictly side effects, and they have been many, believe me. You know, in medicine and everything else, there have been a lot of side things that have come out because they didn't want the soldiers to all die or this or, you know, you spend a half a million dollars on a pilot and uh, you want to keep him alive so he can fly again and go and knock off the enemy. So you have all this mechanical uh, medical technique to keep the poor bastard alive, you know, so he can go out and fight again, this kind of thing. I think you're but, talking about engineering. Uh, no, I'm talking about uh, science historically is tied to war because this is the only thing that gets people excited enough to spend millions and billions of dollars to fund it. Yeah, to yeah. fund the thing. You but see. Been, you know, if the somebody said today, uh, you know, well, now let's let's get a billion dollars for a heart fund that has to do with humanity, you know, the heart of humanity. Well, you never, they wouldn't raise two bucks. If you have a, a busted heart or a busted blood vessel or something like this, you can raise a million or two billion or whatever for heart attacks and uh, all this kind of garbage, you know, which goes on. That's why we have to do it on a shoestring. Yeah. Everybody do it themselves. Yeah. And uh, the, the, obviously, it, as far as where we're going and what we're going into, uh, it's it's always the work of a few people to make it so apparent to the rest of the people that they'll buy it. You know, they everybody has to say something or do something which is so obvious that finally the dumbest ox in the whole uh, gang says, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's the way we got to go, man. That's it. So it's got to appeal to the values that people have got now. Yeah, yeah. If they want money. Whether you like Shaw or not, you know, he was, uh, he was an important guy. You know, you may not think uh, he was apparently uh, almost as bad as Wagner, but uh, uh, as far as what he accomplished was concerned. He, he accomplished a great many reforms, and the way he did it was, was making, so, it, making it so apparent to the dumbest ox what was going on that everybody could see what was going on, and that's a very good thing. You know. But he had to spend his life putting things down, satirizing. Yeah, but he, he accomplished a great deal in his time. You know, I'm not making a saint out of Sure, but I mean, as far as how you do it is concerned, and and along comes a guy like Gandhi, for instance, and uh, with the most outre ideas that you could dream of in a in a million years, and he made them stick. Well. What I'm trying to say is that as far as the line of evolution is concerned, Gandhi, without the support of the evolutionary line, would never have made it. But he had, he had the evolutionary line back of him. He had something pushing him that was much bigger than Gandhi, and uh, it was a tremendous thing. In other words, he was making a, a demonstration which won't be forgotten ever. You know, 
and this is a, a big load on one guy, but he pulled it off. And it was just one, you know, one guy going around in a, in a pair of diapers that, uh, a silly looking guy, if there ever was one, you know, from our point of view, he was really way out there. At the same time, Shaw was helping him on the other one. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, uh, you know, evolution, when you're talking about the population of the entire Earth, well, uh, Mao Zedong, for instance, is, is another example. I mean, he's a, he's a marvelous example of one guy running around, everybody trying to kill him, and escaping everything. Of course, Gandhi got in jail, but Mao Zedong was running around. They were all trying to shoot him and kill him and exterminate him and everything else. But he made it. And whether you agree the, uh, agree with the guy or you don't agree with him, that's immaterial and irrelevant. The fact is that he did something tremendous. And as far as China is concerned, anybody would agree that China is a lot better now than it was. It's just like, you know, under the uh, rule of the mandarins, it was, a, it was really bad. And it's for, the, for Joe Dokes, it's better. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, go back to this commercial side. Uh, I remember a hearing in 1921 somebody telling about a way of running uh, automobiles and it wasn't quite on water, but it was something almost that simple. That was 1921, and here we are with polluted air, and we haven't gotten away from the, you know, carbon monoxide yet. This was 1921. They had an absolute way. And of course, I'll give you one guess as to who sat on it. Make sure it didn't. Come oh out. yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. I I believe you, and, uh, and I don't I, remember the details, but it was but supposed to be true. I remember in World War II when there was this big rubber shortage, you know, and everybody was screaming about save rubber, and and this guy out in it was well out in the corn belt. He he had discovered that he could run his tires without tubes, and tubes were. Uh, real live rubber, you know, uh, the real McCoy and everything, and you could screw up on the outside with the tires, but the, the tube had to be pretty good rubber, you know, more or less virgin stuff. Well, this guy, he ran his heavy trucks, he was in the trucking business, and he ran his heavy trucks for two years without any tubes, <laughs> you know. And he says, now, here are all the, here are all the facts. Here are all, here's all the data. And he handed this all to uh, the guys in Dayton, Ohio, the government guys, you know. And it was an absolute open and shut proposition. Well, they didn't do anything about it. You know, they, I mean, in spite of the fact that it was absolutely documented up to here, they just wouldn't accept it. Because the idea was that if you had a tire, you had to have a tube in it, you know. Well, and I mean, that's the way it is, uh, you know. And uh, so some guy comes along with a real goofy idea with two years of running heavy trucks without any tubes, and they just say, you know, this guy must be nuts. Jason, I'm, I'm really uh, <clears throat> excited about something in uh, Paul Case's book of tokens. Oh, good. About, about Bob, and uh, when he starts talking about the will is the small point of all beginning, and it's coming forth as a search for 
especially when it continues on and he says, Thy search for me is mine own search for myself. Nor shall that quest of mine, which seemeth now to thee to be thine pursuit of thine own wisdom and understanding, be doomed to fail, doomed to failure. Uh, I don't know, I can, I can hardly even think about that idea that, you know, way back it's somehow that all of this accretes at some small point that at the beginning of the will it determines how this all is. I mean, I guess I had the idea that Bob represented the higher self who was really somebody else. You know, sort I'm of. listening. Go ahead. And um, all of a sudden when he talked about Bob, then I could really see that that higher self isn't like, it's not my own individual character that I carry around upstairs, but somehow that really is, I don't know, maybe my, my point of connection with whatever it is that's beyond that point of connection that accretes right back to that dot, that sort of abstract dot that is probably the beginning of the idea of everything. Yeah, but don't make it too abstract because uh, it doesn't have any meaning if it becomes too abstract. In other words, uh, the problem of the self is that you have to, first of all, you have to understand that yourself is a cosmic phenomenon. You're not just, uh, now we're talking, you know, we're talking about the nitty gritty and the real dirty stuff. Uh, yourself is uh, something in the cosmos and consequently it has all these absolutely fantastic things about it which are perhaps best represented in uh, in the hindu uh, system of uh, images and so on and so forth. Uh, you must understand that uh, the life power in yourself doesn't mean anything at all unless you understand it in terms of expression. In other words, there's no use thinking of it as an as an abstraction because this doesn't this has no meaning for anybody, and neither does uh, the life power have any meaning to itself, except in terms of expression. So that what's very hard to get through our heads is that uh, the very life that we're living is exactly the life power living its life in us and it is also at the same time our very own selves but it has no meaning except in terms of expression in other words if it goes to sleep which is supposed to do every umpteen uh, hundred billion trillion years or whatever according to the hindu idea if it goes to sleep that's all very well in other words when you're asleep you're asleep but when you're awake uh, <laughs> as far as meaning is concerned, the meaning is uh, is only in the living, see? Yes, but I think that if you're going to be an expression of something, then you're expressing... But you're not an expression of something. That's just the point. Uh, that That is the exact point. You, you have to look at yourself as being the expression of all that there is. That Which there is... must be an expression of that small dot. Otherwise, but it's not a small dot. It isn't a small dot at all. In other words, it's a very large dot. It's a very large dot. It happens to be the universe. It's not a small dot. It's a large one. It's the universe. And the only way that you can understand yourself from the higher point of view is seeing yourself 
as the universe, not as a dot. And uh, so the, the, the only I, the notion of the dot is simply an integrating thought, which sort of brings everything together. But uh, you, uh, you won't understand yourself if you uh, think of yourself in terms of a dot, because it's the other way around. I don't think of myself in terms of a dot. <laughs> of yourself, we'll say, as a flower, which is a fairly accurate representation of yourself, well, this is, a, this is a better way to think of yourself. In other words, if you think of yourself as a flower in bloom, uh, this is a better way to think of yourself because the, the more you know about yourself, the more you will see that you are uh, a collection of faculties which are not personal but are universal and so the way you operate in this area of universality is your life that's the way it is and the the essence of the thing is you might say in terms of what's going on is uh, you might say your enjoyment of life and uh, the only difference between not enjoying life and enjoying life is the difference between knowing what life is all about and not knowing what life is all about. So that it becomes a question of values. Let's, uh, we'll say that, and this has nothing to do with human, dear, honest to God, but let's say that you, you have no appreciation of life, okay? You're a person who has no appreciation of life. Well, then you have a very meager existence. And, and then by contrast, let's say that you are a person who has a tremendous appreciation of life and you don't have a meager existence anymore. You have a very rich existence. And this is the kind of contrast that's involved. And, you know, the, the tarot winds up with the uh, universal consciousness, which is, it sounds absolutely lovely, you know, as they say in the brochure, but as far as what the tendency is, the tendency is that instead of having a very cramped sort of life, which is involved with very uh, meager uh, sensations, your, your life uh, broadens into tremendous sensations of what life is all about. And that's, that's more or less what it is. Well, that whole idea, that idea that, that our lives is, are, are the life power sort of hungering after itself in a reflective sense. Well, isn't that's it true? The, that's the hottest idea I've heard huh. in a week. Well, isn't you know? it true? I mean, isn't it true that, uh, that you have this uh, uh, tremendous, everybody has this tremendous sense, you might say, of incapacity that they want to get over. In other words, they want they know that there's something which is absolutely superior, 
that they want to enjoy and that they want to experience. And that's the hunger right there. In other words, they know that anything that's a limit, which is, we'll say, ordinary existence, is not sufficient. And this is in their hearts so that they go on and on and on and they expand their consciousness until they finally get to the point where they begin to actually taste a much larger life which has nothing to do with the ordinary personal existence so that they can participate in a, a very wide yes uh, there's a contradiction here in my mind having to do with expression and uh, it's kind of like seeking like we're seeking a goal like let's see if I can put it the, the idea is that we're to be expressing yeah not ourselves or our personalities yes. but expressing the the all the universe or the whatever is going on now okay now that is seeking a goal to be able to do that but now that isn't quite right either so that, that's not uh, well uh, in, in other words you have you have two sides to your nature you have a receptive side and you have a creative side and the receptive side is the one that uh, you might say uh, jazzes up the creative side but they're both there and the receptive side re receives uh, uh, tremendous impressions of the universe and the creative side uh, you might say uh, does what it pleases in terms of doing it over and this is uh, precisely the function of the emperor in the tarot. In other words, uh, the emperor's function is to envision, uh, we'll say, a change. But the basis for it is what's going on, which is the empress, which is what he's looking at, and that is the universe. The empress is the universe. You know, he says, uh, you know, uh, asparagus is lovely with drawn butter and but how about little hollandaise <laughs> just as a suggestion you know <laughs> but there but we go from one side to the other we we're receptive and then we work on the other side we we're not just in one thing we're in we're in both areas and the receptive side is is very uh, you might say energizing you know as far as uh, as far as insofar as we receive the universe uh, like our communion wafer uh, we become energized because then we go into our function which is to be creative uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, uh, so it's like taking the ball and running with it, but like we're going to a goal. That's yeah, that's but you don't. In other words, it it's uh, it's much more artistic than uh, we'll say an equation or something like that. In other words, you say, oh well, you did that. Well, you could do this, and that would be lovely. And now, by God, you just did that. Well, how about doing something else? You know, but in the meantime, uh, if you hadn't received the message of what's been done, you wouldn't be able to create anything new because you wouldn't get any idea, and so it goes back and forth. You see, I mean, you're in this uh, 
as they say, the figure eight, where it goes back and forth. So you're like the victory key in the tarot is key seven in the first row. Well, that's receptivity will. And the receptivity is the thing that makes the will, uh, you might say, useful and, uh, and real. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any. Because uh, if you were, let's say, which you are, uh, you're God, okay, so uh, it's all yours, and you're, you're running the whole show. So uh, you're, going to, you're going to put on the show. Okay, you put on a show, but then the minute you see the show, you have another idea. See, but you have to see the show first. You know, where did the original one come from? Well, there is no original one. There's no end to it. In other words, there's no uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg idea. There isn't any. In other words, this is this is it. There's there's all the material and there's the creative aspect and the show goes on and you say, oh yeah, well we could do it another way, and uh, and then that goes on and everybody has a hell of a time doing that one and then you say well you can change it a little bit and do it this way see and that that's also a heck of a lot of fun too and and uh, you know uh, actually actually the main thing is that you'd never get bored this way if uh, if you were to think in terms of eternity you wouldn't because there would be too many factors and that's uh, that's very important is that you shouldn't get bored like getting down to Malkuth and then you go back to Kevin. Well, that is a circuit. I mean, it is a circuit, and there's no question about it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is how I feel. I was going to ask you. Could I... <laughs> you mean spooky? Uh, no, sort of timid. Um, when, when you? Timid? When it starts to get cosmic sometimes, Jason, it gets, it gets scary. You know, I was thinking before. Well, you remember uh, Krishna and Arjuna, and Arjuna says, "Hey, oh, look, story. hey, come on, uh, let's see it all." And he goes, <laughs> and he, "No, that was enough right there. You know, I don't want to see it all. I just, you know, I want to see what I should see, not, not the whole." So thing. when you start to feel frightened, what should you do? Go back to mother. <laughs> My mother is scarier than that. <laughs> I start <laughs> no, actually, that, uh, no. Uh, what I what I mean is that uh, you know, as far as our support is concerned, that's like the mama in the universe. Uh, that is an immediate support that never changes, in spite of all the other changes that are going. We're always supported, and if this were not so, I'm sure we wouldn't be here at all. I mean, we are very much supported all the time. So we, uh, the thing that supports us uh, is where we go uh, in terms of refuge. And that is, uh, that's the big mama, not the little one. You know, we hear about mothers who say, get out of my house and never come back again, but big mama doesn't do that because if that were to happen uh, in terms of Big Mommy, you wouldn't uh, exist. Yeah. Isn't this whole 
thing we're talking about, not only getting in touch with subconscious, but getting in touch through to uh, superconscious. Yes. Like actually going into the womb of the mother and, and there we find hope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then another, that gets too cosmic and scary, and we have to back out and go back to the mother. Well, I, uh, if you scare easily, uh, yes, but. That's uh, what we're talking about. Yeah, but that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Isn't the scariness a uh, safety factor? Well, it is. Uh, at any given point in your evolution, it could be. Uh, as this, the classical story of Arjuna and Krishna, you know, when he saw the, when Arjuna saw the way it was, it was too much for him. So he asked Krishna to turn it off. But that doesn't mean that uh, uh, we will be able to look at it sometime. I mean, that that was not inferred at all in the story. It was just that at that point, Arjuna was uh, very human, you know. I mean, he was on a very human level. This guy was uh, just an ordinary soldier type who was uh, completely torn up with all sorts of moralistic and everything else uh, notions about what was going on. And uh, Krishna tried to straighten him out. And then, of course, when he got into what was really going on, well, it was too much for him. And so he said, turn it off. But that, is, is, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, we can't look at reality uh, because at a certain stage in our development we're quite capable of looking at reality without being unstrung or unheaded or unhorsed or anything else. when you get involved in the evolutionary stream, you're certainly going to, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to see things the way they really are. And when you do, uh, you know, you're going to have to accept the guy that's still digging roots out in, uh, in Australia the way he has for 17,000 years. And, and Einstein on the other end of the scale, or whoever that is on the other end of the scale in terms of intellectuality and and what what you will and uh, and all the saints and all the rest of it. There's a tremendous spread there, you know, and you have to have uh, you have to have this all in your head and not say, oh, you know, I can't hack it or something like that. You have to hack it. That's the way it is. And if you see a lot of people who are, you know. Uh, locked up in the ego trip, which is about 99% of humanity, you have to understand that this is a sort of a chrysalis stage as far as humanity is concerned, and this doesn't refer to what's going to happen in the future. Uh, this is, you know, babyhood. That's, that's where it is. But just because 99% of humanity is uh, wrapped up in a cocoon doesn't mean that you and I have to be in that cocoon. That's the whole point of the thing. It's a very unhappy situation, and we don't have to be in that. So we have a choice of getting out of it. And that doesn't mean that we're uh, oblivious or uh, we don't give a damn or something like that. We can care very much, but we don't have to be in it. Because as the saying goes, if you're in it, you can't do any, you can't help at all because you're just part of that, and that's the end of it. You see. 
thing, but you might be able to do some good on the outside. Yes. Why are you and I and the people in this room fortunate enough to be able to make a choice? Oh, well, that's a long story. I mean, that is a very long story. That would involve, uh, you might say, many, many incarnations and uh, a whole evolutionary trip as far as we're concerned. And it's also, like everything else, it's a responsibility, you know. I mean, we're our responsibility is exactly like the Arabs. They are failing in their responsibility. But we are given the responsibility to do certain things which may not seem important to other people, but they are important. And uh, the Arabs are, uh, they have the opportunity to do something absolutely splendid on a grand scale, and they're not buying it. They're, they're missing the boat. So that's the way it is. Uh, you, you, in other words, when you get into evolution and, the, and what's going on, the size of the person or the, the size of the word or something is something that's almost impossible to gauge. Gandhi, for example, was a lousy little ambulance chaser in South Africa or something like that before he became illumined. He was. He was just a crappy little lawyer down in the Africa somewhere, you know. And you read his autobiography, he'll tell you himself, don't take my word for it. And, and finally this idea began to, you know, grow in his mind. And here's one, one guy who uh, was fantastic. He completely upset uh, all of India, all of Great Britain, the British Empire, and everything else. One guy. And that's that's what I'm talking about. It's is that just a like, gift? Is that a gift? Well, it's just like, you know, you can say, uh, they say the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, a guy like Voltaire, for instance, was an enormously important guy in terms of what happened. Well, he was just one guy, you know. And this is this is the way it is. In other words, something, uh, a seed, a this or that, a person or something like. He comes out with an idea, and uh, it it just takes fire. As I mentioned earlier, Mao Zedong is the same way. Whether you like the guy, you don't like him, or stock was immaterial. The thing is that he grabbed all of China. One guy grabbed all of China, and that they're doing very well. They're not they're not in a state of collapse. They're making it, you know. I find myself being critical of other people, and I worry about this sometimes because I want to help people. Now, could you talk more about helping from the outside? Like I've kind of lost some friends because it seems like because of studying troll. Well, because I'm, I'm starting to think differently, and I, and I see them and the games they're playing, and I'm, I kind of am critical of them. And people I see, I can see the ego games that they're playing. And uh, at well, the same time, I identify with them because I know that I am them also, and what I see in them is my is part of myself. Yeah. So, but uh, you you have to expect that if you are going to be the companion of the sages, that you're going to have to give up lesser companions. <laughs> That's in the cards. I mean, it is that way. In other words, uh, so 
Lao Tzu will say is the librarian, and he's a little guy, uh, and he shuffles around all these books. He happens to have uh, the concentration of all the wisdom in China in his head and his soul and his being. So you're his devotee. So you shuffle along after him, you know. And uh, he shuffles around, and you shuffle around, and uh, and all your buddies say, well, listen, you silly ass, what are you going around with that dope for? I mean, you know, who needs a librarian, you know? And you say, well, he isn't just a librarian, he's a great saint. They say, oh, sure, you know, and so on and so forth. And that's the way it is. It's inevitable that uh, uh, if you if you follow a certain line that uh, you're, you're going to have a parting of the ways. This is inevitable. This is like, for instance, Gandhi, he had, he had Nehru and he had Aurobindo and he had Menon, a few other guys who were on the same line as he. They all went to jail together and there were many others whose names I don't know who also went to jail and they were all on this one line, you see. And uh, uh, that this made a, a great an immediate division between them and everybody else, which was inevitable. Uh, and I mean, there's a certain uh, uh, mechanical aspect to this. You know, love me, love my dog, and that's the way it is. And if you don't, if the guy says, "Well, I hate your dog," and he's your dog. Uh, all of a sudden, it's going to be uh, a kind of a difficult situation. So you have to make okay, a choice. Okay, but what if I want to help these people to? Uh, well, well, that I can't put my trip on them. Yeah, I, I know, that. but that—that's I've been all through that, and that involves the notion of um, of um, helping somebody else. When, as far as the doctrine is concerned, they have all the help they need. In other words, it is. It's essential to remember that all the information, all the help, all the loving help that anybody could ask for in this whole world is available at all times, and it's it just it, it's just uh, it just comes sort to them of when they when they want it yes, when they seek it yes when they truly seek it yeah. no I mean when they're ready it's it's absolutely true. It's all been there all the time. When they're ready, they will suddenly see it. And uh, there's nothing that you or I can do about it. I mean, uh, in our enthusiasm, we might think that we can do something about it, but it's just a waste of time, really. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And uh, so, you know, uh, this doesn't mean that they've fallen by the wayside or they've failed or I've been all through that, you know. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that they're sleeping quietly in their beds, and and when they when they wake up, uh, if they wake up in your lifetime, uh, they will suddenly come around and say, uh, "Yeah, these are very interesting things." Well, I've uh, sort of, I think that they're kind of fun. I, you know, they want to discuss it and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, it's been pretty well covered since I put my hand up, but I I've always operated on the fact that you. Kind of sit on it. Don't don't let it show. And then when you see a little glimmer in somebody, you just dangle a little hint and, and then stop. And, and then if they're ready, they'll come on. If they don't, you haven't lost the friendship. Yeah, but it's worse than that. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it's really uh, it's this way that 
and unless they feel a need for something and they actually approach you on a needful basis, uh, you have no way of, of sort of getting into them and uh, giving them anything at all. And uh, uh, there, there are a lot of opinions about this, but as far as our tradition is concerned, and I'm speaking of a particular one, which I think is is uh, has a lot of sense in it, if there isn't any desireful need, well, then it's just a waste. It's just like water in a duck. In other words, it's... Uh, and you, again, you have to remember that not only uh, is there tons of material around, like this library, for instance, is full of material, but also, and it's, it's advertised and it's there and everything else, but also it's more than that, that there are people who uh, really want to give the necessary information, who really want to help, not only on the outside, but on the inside. There are all kinds of forces that uh, are watching and waiting uh, for Joe Dokes to suddenly say, well, maybe it isn't just the way I thought it was, and maybe, you know, maybe I ought to get into something a little deeper than that, that you know. Well, it isn't too, too terribly seldom now that I have people look at me and they say, you have the damn thing, but you're happy. How do you do it? So, well, that, that awakens curiosity, surely. It does. And uh, that, I never discuss these matters with people in the outside world, but I agree that some people say, well, uh, how is it that... Uh, you don't take it all so seriously, you know. How is it that uh, you, you don't believe everything? You read the Wall Street Journal, which I do, and uh, you know you read the daily paper, which I do, and you watch television, you watch the same programs, but you don't seem to take it quite so seriously as we do. And of course, I don't. And so this awakens a question. Yes, you were, you were first. Oh, you just said something that really uh, made me curious as to what exactly you mean. You said that uh, you don't discuss these matters in the outside world. Well, I would like to know what you mean when you say that. Well, I mean business. I'm in business. I but don't I mean, go uh, in and say... I mean, you don't, you don't like... This isn't a big secret, is it? I mean, like you're in Tarot and you wouldn't dream of mentioning Well, it couldn't be a secret because I was on TV and everybody <laughs> in the trade saw me and said, what the hell are you doing in that? What's going on here? I mean, you, you just know. don't go around talking about terrorism. No, I mean, I don't. Right? For instance, I, I send my photographs away to a guy in Minnesota, you know, to be developed. And it's a, he does a good job, and it's very reasonable. And every time he sends back a photograph, he always sends me a tract. It's about, it's out of the Bible or something, or it's something or else. You okay, know. Well, you know, well, what I'm trying to say is that when I go in and sell a guy a bill of goods, I don't try to give him a shot of tarot or Kabbalah or something else, you know, because I don't feel that this is uh, exactly the way it should be. That's all I'm saying. However, a discussion of a tarot could happen to you at any time. Well, you? now, my next-door neighbor, for instance, uh, uh, he, he knows he knows that I'm interested in it, so he said, well, now I'm going to make a, a table and... Uh, I want a glass top on it, and I want something to put underneath it. So he said, why don't you get me a set of tarot cards that I can put 
underneath the, the table, the glass top, you know. And so, you know, it's a conversation piece, and I'll have it in my living room. And I said, well, I think that's just fine, you know. So I got him a, a set of the miniature cards, and he has it in his living room, and it's a conversation piece. And then his wife said, well, what the hell does it mean? You know, I mean, uh, you know, there it is, but I should know something about it. So I said, well, you know, I gave her a few little things about what it meant. So I said, well, that's very interesting, because now, now when somebody wants to make conversation about my tarot piece, at least I can say something about it. In other words, it's not just a nothing, you know, it's not just a, a visual thing that I can't uh, talk about. So that's the way it is. Go ahead, sweetie. Um, do you, do you um, discuss philosophy with people in general? Oh, no, never, you? never. Never in my whole life. Never. Well, when people say to you, uh, how come you don't take this so seriously? What do you say he's to them? Kidding, he's kidding, Mom. He's kidding, he's kidding. Well, the reason I, I don't take it so seriously is because it's been going on for such a long time. And, you know, I mean, well, I, have a, I have a nervous Jewish that's partner, uh, for instance, who who is a real bundle of nerves, and uh, if the market goes down, he gets extremely nervous, and when it goes up, he feels real good. And uh, so the last three days, he feels pretty good because the market's been going up. And his only complaint now is that he didn't have enough money to buy the stocks when they were at the bottom, you see, which he wanted to do, and he didn't have the cash, so he's always got a complaint, you know. But I mean, uh, that's, that's the way it is. So, you know, I'm living with it. I'm living with it all the time. In other words, if you, you are a student, I'm a student, and you know that uh, a long time ago, for instance, in China and also in India, but especially in China, they said conditions change. In other words, they're good, they're bad, or they're indifferent. But you're not supposed to change. In other words, your roots are not in, uh, so it's a rainy day or it's a sunny day. When, you, when it's rainy, you don't say, oh my God, the weather's terrible, which a lot of people do. You know, they say it's raining, oh my God. And if it wasn't rain, they'd all starve to death, you know. But that's the way people right, are. Well, that's your philosophy, though. You know, yeah. You used. Yeah, but I mean, I don't say to the guy, "Well, the reason, the reason that I can feel this way is because I happen to be a student of this, that, and the other no, thing." Blah blah blah. You just say, "I've been around long enough," or something. No, I don't say anything. I just am. In other words, I am the way I am. And they say the world's coming to an end, and I say, I don't believe it. That's the difference. That's all. I mean, and then they say, well, uh, this is fantastic. And uh, they say, you know, uh, stick around because.